Hello and welcome back to Rupture Radio, a almost weekly look at news, politics and culture from a, a socialist perspective. Um, this week we're taking a, a deep dive into burnout, um, which is a common problem and difficulty and challenge facing all of us on the left um, two and a half years into doing this podcast you start to to feel the uh, you start to feel the pressure of burnout nipping at your heels um, and I'm, I'm joined by uh, uh, Lawrence Cox he's a senior lecturer in NUI Maynooth uh, um, who's written quite a lot about social movements uh, um, written recently in, in issue six and seven of Rupture about the history of environmental movements here in Ireland and um I recently did a, a talk on burnout, how to, how to challenge burnout at the uh, recent Rise uh, Eco-Socialist Summer Camp. Um, and in preparing for that, I, I found an article, uh, how, do, how Do We Keep Going? Activist Burnout and Personal Sustainability in Social Movements, uh, that Lawrence wrote, which I'll include in the uh, show notes as well. And it was a fantastic introduction uh, to all of the key concepts and ideas. Uh, um, sort of like a, a literature review, I suppose. Is, is, it, is it an article or a literature review? Or what would you call it, Lawrence? Uh, yeah. It's a kind of literature review, sure. Yeah, sort of like summing up all the different existing authors at the time that had written about burnout. And actually, before we dive into it, because the concept of burnout wasn't, it didn't originate in activist circles. It seemed to be, first of all, a lot of the authors that wrote about burnout talked about burnout in like industry, care work and stuff like that, is it? And then some people are trying to apply those concepts to activism. Yeah, it came out of sort of social psychology, um, all sorts of, yeah, particularly in the caring professions, and then some weird stuff as well, I should say, from Israel, uh, which some of which is a bit politically dodgy, but it was all about this phenomenon of people hitting a wall, people not being able to go on in some space where they needed to kind of be mentally and emotionally present. They couldn't just switch everything off and just do the just do the job. And were they researching it from the point of view of how to promote burnout almost? Or um, No, I think, I mean, some of it was managers going, why are we losing good people? Um, and I don't know enough about the Israeli background just to go, you know, that's kind of weird. Um, um, but, you know, like the psychology, we've got to take this stuff with a pinch of salt. We can't go, oh, wow, this is true. Um, movements started coming across it in the 80s and then particularly in the 90s um, with the rise in direct action in particular. So people started talking about trauma and stress an awful lot more and what to do about it. And part of it, I think, was the falling away of older, really embedded movement cultures where people did handle these things. So, you know, in older socialist movements or the women's movement, um, people had handled them in different ways with different languages. Um, but by the 90s, um, people were coming up the problem again and they were trying to go, how do we even understand this? We don't have a sort of inherited way of dealing with this. So what do we think is going on? What can we do about it, basically? And there was a, a splurge of work then, really, trying to understand it and trying to respond to it. And so, like, so first of all, like, what is burnout? What does the phrase, it's a buzzword now, did you hear a lot? But what does it sort of unpack that word for us, I suppose? So, I mean, basically, it's about where you hit a wall. 
You know, it's where you get to the point you just can't keep going. Um, so, you know, I mean, let's be clear about this. If you were doing something uh, that's entirely physical, if you're stacking boxes, a lot of people cope with that by switching off, by going, I'm not here. This is just me moving boxes. If I can listen to something while I do it, fine. If I can chat with coworkers, whatever. Um, but the less present I am, the better. Now, it's hard to do that if you're a care assistant, for example, if you're a teacher, if you're an activist. Yeah. You can't switch off in the same way. Uh, you can kind of disconnect and people notice it. So there's a space where you're just doing stuff all the time and it doesn't make sense. It's not working. People aren't coming to the meetings. You can hear the words coming out of your mouth. They're not going anywhere. There's a flurry of activity and it's going off into the void because you're not present. I think anybody that's been around the block of activism for a while recognizes a lot of that. But but that, there's an element of that that's just there's exhaustion, um, which is but but burnout seems to be a bit broader than just exhaustion. It's you know. Um, well, look if you want if you want a kind of real definition, I'd say it's the inability to act in a meaningful way. You aren't actually able to do the thing that you're trying to do, because remember, do the th the thing that you're trying to do isn't march up and down the street. It isn't stand on a platform and talk or bang out words on a keyboard. It's to bring about change. And burnout is the point where you're not able to do the thing that's needed to make that happen, whatever it is. You know, you're, you've got leaflets there. You can't actually face approaching people and go, would you like a leaflet or knock it on the door? Um that's too much somehow. You can't face picking up the phone and saying to people, hey, we're going to do this. Would you like to come along? Yeah, so those kinds of moments of actually, I don't even know why, but I can't really do this. Mm -hmm. And, like, is it sort of a, a spectrum? As in, like, there could be full-on, uh, like, for months or for, like, inevitably, or for for an unending period you're like i can't do that anymore but is there not also just in your week to week month to month life and you're like oh for the next couple of days for the next week i, I can't do anything uh, um or like how does it come on does it just is it just like a, 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 a what is it stay is there stages to burnout that people should be paying attention to i suppose sure i mean if you're aware yourself of being tired you're actually doing okay if you're aware you know, right now, I just can't do anything. I've got too much else on. I can't take this. Sorry. That's you actually avoiding burning it. Um, then quite often people get into a space where they're not really able to do stuff, but they won't admit it to themselves. They won't admit it to other people. They just feel they have to do it. They have to go through the motions. Um, and then, yeah, eventually people come to a point of uh, quite often just really not being able to act. Or if you get them into a room, um, they can be you know, very bitter, very cynical. People isolate themselves. They feel, you know, nothing I'm doing makes any sense. 
Yeah. So there's different ways that it hits people when it's really got hold. Uh, so it's a spectrum. We're very different. And one thing to add to this is that there's also trauma and then PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder, which can go along with it if it's not just a question of too much stress too long, but actually traumatic situations and our responses to it. So not all burnout goes together with PTSD, but an awful lot of PTSD uh, in activists as a burnout element as well. Well, that was something that was talked about a bit in the repeal movement um, and in the marriage equality campaigning as well, where people, the campaigns sort of encouraged people to share and to what could have been very difficult stories, like people on the doors, you're campaigning for marriage equality, you yourself are gay, you want to get married, and you're trying to have to like justify yourself to somebody. Uh, um, you're he- having to hear somebody like deny y- your humanity, almost. Uh, um, or in the abortion campaign, say if you, if you had an abortion, and you're talking to somebody that's saying, well, they're... Do you know, they, I know that was something that those campaigns talked about, that, that for a lot of people, actually the act of canvassing and campaigning and those was itself um, traumatic. Uh, um, not just stressful, not just exhausting, but actually uh, um, a, a, a trauma as well, you know? Yeah, and w- so we are very different. So some people it was traumatic, some people it was stressful, some people you know, found it positively empowering, some people really enjoyed it. Um, and part of what we've got to do for ourselves and each other is see that we are different that way, that we're not all in the same space. You know, we can't just look at each other and go, well, um, I found that fine. I can't see what your problem is. Or conversely go, well, how can I be feeling like this when everybody else is sailing along and enjoying it? You know, we've got to actually kind of know ourselves individually. I do wonder if part of it as well is you think everybody else is sailing along and enjoying it, and, like, they're not. Because p- part of activism is, like, you catch more flies with honey than with vinegar. So, you know, when you're at a meeting and you're trying to encourage people to get involved, everybody puts on the happy face about how great and enjoyable it all is. And, you know, I'll do it as well. I'll tell people, you should join PBP. It's great, etc., etc. But, like, you know, talk to me on a Friday when I'm clocking off work and I'll tell you that that was the most true. That was a stressful week. Part of it is that like everybody puts on, you have to, the emo- part of it is emotional labor of, of, le- of activism as well is to try to entice people in by not talking, not create, maybe we don't create enough the spaces where we can talk about how actually I'm finding this kind of stressful and difficult, you know? I mean, well, some of it can be a bit like an Irish family, can't it? You know, where you, you are exactly, you know, in, in some kinds of family settings, oh, God, oh, geez, wasn't that great? We have to all get together more. And, you know, it's actually exhausting when you're, uh, when you're on your way back home. Uh, can be particularly problematic when people are young. Um, you know, when it's the connections that you're making, it's your friends, uh, it's your new friends, and so much of your life revolves around it. Yeah, somebody said, look, the best part about activism is other people and the worst part about activism is other people. So there you are. That, that's that. But, you know, we, we get into it. We want to be part of it. It's fantastic. It's fantastic. And it can take a while to admit to ourselves that maybe it's not always fantastic. Yeah. 
hell is other people what was that that's Sartre or Sartre uh, um, what are the causes or what are like there's that just did, did you what, well, what are the causes of burnout um, or some of the causes so it's fairly straightforward as I understand it now I'm not I'm not a psychologist so I'm going on what other people say but look uh, we're capable of doing lots of different things right we're capable of fight flight sleep romance, going through the motions at work, being bored, getting really interested in a book or a movie. We can do lots of different things. We shift from one to the other. Um, And part of what we're quite good at doing is stressful situations. So some people like extreme sport. Some people like a bit of an argument. uh, Some people are quite happy um, going into unfamiliar spaces. Uh, so stress is not a bad thing. Changing situations isn't a bad thing. But stress does put us in that sort of fight or flight space, which means uh, a lot of energy goes into things like cortisol, adrenaline, and so on. Uh, and that's making us able to act in all sorts of ways. Yeah. Um, Part of how we might want to act is just get out of that situation, just be somewhere else, and then we go, oh, God, and you feel it in your body. Um, The other part, fight doesn't necessarily mean you want to thump somebody, but you actually want to do something about it. You want to resolve it. If you're flat hunting, right, that's super stressful. And there's a part of you maybe that just goes, I cannot go and view another flat tonight. I just cannot. And there's part of you that goes, I've actually done it. I've actually got a place and it's okay. <sighs> Thank God. But if you're in that situation for a long time, yeah, yeah, it is one of the stresses of homelessness, for example, or, you know, couch surfing or whatever, forever having to ask people, forever seeing, can you make it work? So you're in that stressful situation for a long time and it's not really resolved. Yeah. You're never really either fighting successfully or able to leave it behind. So you're constantly wired. You're not able to resolve it. Yeah. And that's ultimately what causes burnout, that you're in that space. Hmm. And I do wonder, some of that is like, some of that is like innate or inevitable in that like, if you're involved, if you're anti-capitalist, Okay, we're in a conflict with the capitalist class, with the ruling parties, with etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And um, despite my best efforts now for fifteen years, we we haven't resolved that conflict. You know, um, it's like I like I've, I've been for various things. I've I've had different with the different counselors and therapists and stuff. And like what they're asking, like what are your goals in life? You know, and I said, well overthrowing capitalism and it's like well you might need to come up with a, a more manageable goal than that but is there not some of this that's kind of inevitable we're involved in a conflict um that there isn't an immediate do you know in in it, it, it's kind of somewhat it's out of our control how much we can resolve that conflict how much we can end that uh, um uh, uh it's kind of, yeah i don't know is there not some of it that's like it comes with the territory of fighting against capitalism is flying near burnout, you know? Well, that's part of the challenge that we've got. So, and let's come back to flat hunting. You're flat hunting as a socialist. You're also aware 
you know, fuck, I'm up against financial capitalism. I'm up against the way the Irish housing market has gone. Um, there are named individuals who are partly responsible for the situation I'm in. But if you put all of your emotional weight there, as you say, you know, we can live and die, you know, even just within one phase of capitalism. So you do have to have something a bit more manageable, like, well, thank fuck, at least for now, you know, my family's got somewhere to live. Yeah. That you come out of that. Uh, and on a bigger scale that we go, okay, um, we're trying to overthrow the way financial capitalism uh, is kind of really damaging and destroying people's lives around housing. But what's our intermediate goal? Yeah. Can we stop some evictions? Can we shame some landlords? You know, because those are small goals. Yeah, the kind of thing Cassie do all the time. You do that successfully, you feel better. Yeah. You've actually done something. And you've done something you're not denying the bigger problem. But the thing you've done is part of tackling it. Have you managed to really put it on the political agenda? Uh, okay, right. Well, that's a, that's a shift. Yeah, we were talking about water charges early on. Now, you know, the bigger question of commodifying resources and neoliberal capitalism, it hasn't gone away. But winning on that is non-trivial. Yeah. So to some extent, if we want to stay long-term anti-capitalist activists, uh, we've got to be able to identify smaller winnable things that keep us going and give us a sense of confidence and go, do you know what? Actually, we do win some of the time. Uh, and that means we could also win on bigger things. And I think part of that as well is about like having a focus, like having winnable goals, but also then like trying to find a group of people with you that will have a similar focus so that you're not paddling your own canoe uh, like hopelessly, you know, sort of uh, um, fighting somebody. But if you can try to find a group that you're all fighting in the one direction, or at least you can all agree a particular focus for the next three months or the next six months, our focus should be X, Y, or Z. Um, and like I find that a lot in activism, there is in any one week, there's a dozen issues you could be talking about. There's a dozen meetings that you could be going to and campaigns you could be taking up. Uh, um, and I think that it is in, like part of the role Part of the challenge for organisations, I think, is to like uh, bring people together to focus on like uh, the the where, to focus on the best opportunities where you think you can make the where you can think you can make real headway, develop a bit of momentum, have a victory, uh, um, and trying to focus those. Like, so I, I wonder if that, if like having a strategic, avoiding the sort of freneticism of doing a little bit of everything and feeling like you're you're run ragged, but you're not getting anything done. Um, if sort of strategy and um, like collaboration with others can can be part of the uh, 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 solution. You, you've got to think in a mature way, you know, emotionally and personally, but also politically. You've got to go look. Just because some people um, are jumping up and down and doing their very best to tell me this one thing that they care about is the most outrageous, the most unjust, the most whatever doesn't mean that I or the organization can necessarily give ourselves to that 
Yeah. It just doesn't because that particular thing, sure as eggs are eggs, it's part of a bigger problem. Yeah. Yeah. A long-standing thing in the labor movement is to say, look, we've got to think not just about this one battle, but about where's the organization, where's the movement, where's the union after that battle. Um, and to say that in, in a connected way, um, because, I mean, you'll have seen part of what keeps us sane, part of what keeps us away from burnout is connection to each other. So if we just get on our kind of hard-nosed, realist, cynical horse and go, well, that thing they care about, it's totally local and particular, you know, and we're, we're, we're the, you know, big military minds, you know, in that sort of strategic macho mode, that doesn't work because we're cutting ourselves off from them. Yeah. Um, but if we can say, yeah, okay, that's really a bad thing. It's not clear right now what we can do about it beyond X. Yeah. And to start to actually have a real conversation with those people or with ourselves sometimes, you know, because sometimes an issue has hit us personally emotionally, politically, or whatever, and there isn't anything very obvious that we can immediately do about it. And we've got two choices there. One, particularly in the age of the internet, we can let that just resonate around us. We can hear lots of opinions about it. We can read a vast amount about how bad it is, but there is no way to act. And that's there is there's that like a burden of knowledge that comes with being an activist. Um like if you're if you're a housing activist, you kind of have to be reading up on the latest figures so that you know the facts and figures as to how bad the housing crisis is. Or if you're on the if you're campaigning on climate, you you're studying and reading about how horrible things are happening in Pakistan and like the the the, the rate at which the uh, glaciers are melting and all that and with that knowledge is like a lot of emotional stresses and strains. Like I remember the first thing that mobilized me into politics was the invasion of Iraq, the, the war in Iraq, you know, and about like, I was very, I remember I literally cried when the bombs dropped. Um, I was very young, but yeah. Um, and, but a, a year in maybe I started getting worried that like, I was no longer, when I heard another thousand people die in Iraq today, you sort of like, it was no longer as emotionally, you know, charged about it. And I started wondering, Jesus, if I can't, have I become a psychopath? Why am I not now, why am I not as upset about this now as I was a year ago? And part of it, I, I think, is that like just, if you're going to sustain yourself in activism, and it feels horrible when you do it, but you sort of like develop like calluses on your hands. If you're always working with, in a kitchen, you'll end up developing hands that can grab a, a, a hot pan or whatever and similarly you sort of end up getting a little bit um, desensitized or I don't know it's, 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 it, it, part of the, the difficulty of being an activist is, is that you have this burden of knowledge uh, um, that is quite stressful like just knowing this stuff you know it is and one of the big findings particularly around climate stuff is that we're wrong to think that knowing things is a long-term motivator. It's not. Uh, most people 
knowing bad things for a long period of time, switch off and shut down. Yeah. Just jumping up and down and shouting at other people about how bad it is is no more effective than, you know, like you've just said, shouting at ourselves. It works initially, but it doesn't work for the long term. So part of what we've got to do is to see that it's not all about us and our feelings, that that outside world is real. So something, the processes that lead to war are real. And the processes of financial capitalism are real. The processes of ecological destruction are real. Change them. We have to organize. And therefore, we've always got to say, it's not enough just to be fixated by the horror or the injustice of something we've got to us. Well, is there something that I can do that I know is actually doable or that feels like we could get there within a reasonable space of time? Um, and honestly, an ounce of doing something is emotionally better you know, than a few kilos of uh, reading about it um, because it puts us in this space where we're not just faced with this horrible burden of knowledge. We, we, need, we need to do stuff. We absolutely need to do stuff. And what we can do is right now is smaller than what we can imagine and is smaller than what we're up against. But if we don't do something, if we don't decouple from, you know, just the horror of what's out there and go, okay, what can I do? Then we're actually going to burn out and we're going to switch off. Is there part of that that is kind of like inevitable as well? Like when I joined the soldiers movement and I got active, I didn't realize it was going to be as difficult as it was. Do you know what I mean? And you sort of, you join, you spend a year sort of like enthusiastically, then you hit a wall and you go, oh crap, this is actually way more difficult than I thought it was. And then every, it seems like every couple of years you go, oh, it's even more difficult again, you know, but is there part, like you start off and you get a buzz from it. You do your first protest, you do your first action, you maybe you get a win, you get a, and, and then you, you push yourself to do even more and you do. But then I wonder, is part of it like almost, um, I don't mean inevitable as in we shouldn't do anything to stop it, but it's like structurally there in that like you will try to push yourself, um, beyond, you, you almost need to learn your limits in doing, you know, you, 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 it's only by doing it that you realize, oh, actually, that time I pushed myself too far, I need to learn more my limits, you know? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's more like, you know, if you don't walk anywhere on a daily basis, probably don't try and run a marathon at the weekend. Yeah. Uh, maybe you might set yourself the goal of walking 15 minutes every day, you know, so we push ourselves in a manageable way rather than kind of, you know, seeing how big things are and trying to leap up to that. You know, like if you've ever seen a dog trying to leap at something that's just on a wall it can't reach and you know, yapping away, those kind of little dogs. Um, so we can also really try and stand in history. You know, I mean, that's an important part of being able to do this in the longer term is to go, do you know what? Um, the whole world used to be run by empires. It's not anymore. And here is one of the places where that stopped being true. Yeah. 
Now, this is one of the few countries where the peasants got the land completely. Yeah. It's one of the few countries that stopped nuclear power. And over the last decade, you know, like you've mentioned, water charges, marriage equality, repeal. These are big wins and big movements. And a lot of other countries in the global north haven't had that. We need some kind of way of talking to ourselves that isn't just patting ourselves on the back about that, going, sure, aren't we grand? But also isn't just looking at what's bad. You know, some kind of sort of justified confidence where we go, do you know what? Actually, we do face these people down with some regularity. And some of the time we win. Stuff that we thought was going to be absolutely impossible to win becomes possible with some regularity. And then we go, okay, you know, I don't know that we're going to win this one, but it's, you know, it's not out of the range of possibility. Yeah, I think that's something that maybe we don't do, the left doesn't do enough of is like um, celebrating the victories that we've had. Not in a, as you say, not in a, aren't we great, but in a, actually, this was good. This, the, the, we, the water charges didn't just go away by itself. It's because thousands and thousands of people dedicated huge amounts of time and like uh, uh, won. Uh, um, or even that other point that you're making in terms of seeing things in a bigger historical period that like, I don't know, uh, that like history is on our side in a bit or you know, that we, we, we are, we're, we have, uh, we have the, the weight of the uh, progresses with us. Um, but maybe that's, a, maybe that's a bit of a false uh, narrative as well. I don't know. Well, just, you know, when, when we get older, so if we're trying to do this not just for two years, but for five years or 10 years or 20 years, we've got to have some sense of what that looks like um, and see, I don't know, is the world our kids are growing up in a different one in good ways as well as bad ways? Have the things we've done made some difference? What are the younger people who are coming into the movement wanting? What spaces are we making for older people? You know, because if we've got an organization that's entirely composed of 19-year-olds and where basically nobody stays in it beyond the age of 23, that's not sustainable. It's not going to be very effective for most purposes. Successful movements uh, have old people in them. They have people with families, people with jobs, as well as, you know, people in all sorts of other situations. Just, I want to jump on in a second to discuss some of the, like, what can we do to prevent burnout? But before, just before that, just to go back over some of the other things that maybe, like, feed into burnout. Um, uh, I do wonder if part of it as well is, like, like, movements come and go. Um, and like, so there was a couple of years there, water charges, marriage equality, repeal, and there was like mass movements and you could get a real buzz from that, like, you know, and then uh, there's been a couple of years when there hasn't been, like, there's been good activism on housing and, you know, important protests and important direct actions and, um, clearly ideologically, there's still a shift left taking place on the issue of housing in particular, but but I'm not saying I'm not being negative, but there hasn't been the same sort of mass movements, and then like it means that 
at times you can feel like you're banging your head off a wall. You you can no matter how hard you try, you're not about. You can't just. I can remember after the water charges movement, for instance, there was loads of discussions among people who were saying, "What do we do next? What's the next big water charges?" And I was like, and I was kind of like saying, "I don't know. We don't get to decide." We couldn't just pick this is the issue and let's make this 100,000 people on the streets by sheer force of will. But it's kind of a bit like, you know, I don't know, you, you're, there's a certain element of powerlessness that comes with um, trying to build mass movements. You're, you, there's opportunities to do it, I'm not, but there's also like ebbs and flows that you kind of need to um, uh, l- understand the limits of what is and isn't possible as well, like, you know? Yeah, and... Um we've got to kind of decenter ourselves a bit yeah but it's not just it's not just about me individually and my feelings about this stuff i'm reading about or this stuff that affects me but it's also not just about ourselves and the organization yeah um so you know from a marxist point of view we used to say well it's about the class isn't it and It's about what other people in the class do. And some of them are people that we've got a sense of because they're people our age, they're people in our social world. Some of them we happen to breeze what they're like. Um, And we are actually dependent on each other. We are to some extent dependent on what people we've never met, people we don't know what they're like, decide to do about something. Um, that becomes particularly true when you take it outside of the 26 counties. When you go look on climate change, we are dependent on what people who speak languages we do not understand a word of in contexts we can barely grasp decide to do. So what's an adult way of living with that? Yeah. It's certainly not putting all the responsibility on me and my organization. Whether, you know, bigging ourselves up as, you know, we are the best things in sliced cheese or uh, feeling crap about it because we're not getting anywhere. It is a bit about going, well, where are we? What can we do at the moment? What's our, what's the next step? What's, you know, within our range of doability? How do we think we could take this further? Yeah. Um, yeah. Is there any other feeders, things that feed into burnout, um, other than what we've um, talked about there? One, well, one small thing actually that came comes to me is just that. Um, well, two things. One is like a fact of life, which is everything takes way more time to do than you think it will, and that's kind of by itself. Um, uh, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you, and you have to learn it every week again, you know, every time you do a to-do list. But yeah, and then, but the other, I do wonder, like, um, uh, I think uh, I've seen, you know, you've been around activism for a while, you see people come and go. And I think a big thing that dents people a lot is once there's, um, is fight, infighting, debates within your own organization, disputes, fallings out, that can be inevitable. Maybe sometimes it can be, exaggerated how uh, and done more extreme than it needed to be but there is inevitable debate and all that and i find that a lot of that can be uh it's like if that could be particularly demoralizing for people uh, and because you're then like oh i'm actually fought people that i thought were before we were in this together you then have fallings out with uh, um and that can be a very like a uh, 
I don't know if that's burnout or if that's just demoralization or I don't know if that's the same or a different thing. It can definitely be traumatizing as well. But uh, um. Oh, yeah, sure. Well, look, it can lead to burnout. And sometimes it's an expression of defeat and burnout because, you know, when our movements are getting weaker, uh, there's often a tendency to want to keep going by winning something. You know, and you can't win against them out there, but you can win against the people in your organization or in your movement. Yeah, so there's quite a lot of displaced activity like that. Um, I think part of what we've got to do is to have kind of mature democratic cultures within our organizations. Uh, to go, well, the fact that we disagree on some things, um, sometimes it means we can't work together. It doesn't necessarily mean that. It certainly doesn't mean this is the most interesting thing in the world. <laughs> this is the center of my life. Um, yeah. how, do, how do we manage that? How do we give each other enough space to do things so that I can go, yeah, you know, I wouldn't do it that way, but they're the people who are doing it. Uh, and it's not a disaster if they do it differently. Or conversely, where you get to the point of going, no, we can't be in an organization with these people. Uh, how do you manage that without it becoming, if you get to the point where you go, you can't be in an organization without, with, with those people, how do you do that cleanly? Yeah. I don't mean without fireworks, but how do you not, uh, how do you avoid looking for the fireworks? How do you avoid going, I want the drama, I want the conflict. You know, it's one of the besetting sins of socialists, right? Is we actually love the drama, we love the polemic, we love the sectarianism, we love the infighting. It's a really, really bad habit. <laughs> it's a desperately bad habit. We all say it, we all know it, we all carry on doing it, or most of us. Do. I think there's a, a real, like, learning good methods of debate uh, um, so that you, like, it's always said, comradely debate, fraternal debate, or whatever, you know, uh, um, but it's, the phrase is said a lot, but I think it's practiced a lot less. Too often, as soon as there's a falling out, or a disagreement, not a falling out, a disagreement over something, people then start like, uh, oh, well, that person was always whatever, or, do you know what I mean? Like, there's sort of like a, you try to write the disagreement, it's not a dis- it's not that we just disagree over X issue, it's a statement of their whole personality and their whole approach to the world or whatever, sort of blowing everything up and then writing people off, you know? Um, there's a phrase that I personally like really hate um, but there's, there's a phrase that's sometimes used of ex-comrades I think it's the most cultish phrase I've ever heard which is like so, yeah <laughs> and this isn't whatever if you're talking about somebody who's like left your organisation and like joined the CIA then maybe you know what I mean like maybe they're an ex-comrade if they now work for IBEC fine but like if they've just left your specific narrow revolutionary left organisation and they've joined another socialist organisation or they've joined they've, they've become an anarchist or they've become a, a, a they've decided that they're just a, a, a they want to be an activist without a label or whatever you know what I mean they're not an, an ex-comrade it's like this sort of like I don't know we need to see th- I'm not saying debate is important there's, I'm sure me and you could have loads of debate over loads of things, and that's fine. But we need to learn how to have a debate without, um, without like putting people on a blacklist that then makes them just like uh, throw in the what's the point of all of this? Like, you know? Yeah, I mean, it, look, it's totally apolitical because 
the ABC of serious politics is about making alliances with people who are not identical to us, you know, with people who are in different kinds of organizations, different kinds of traditions. Maybe they've got limited interests that coincide with ours. And it's being able to actually see that and engage with them and have a sense of the movement as something that's bigger than the organization. You know, German has this phrase, organizational patriotism, you know, where basically my organization is the movement. Anything else, like you said, other just ex-comrades, yeah. which is so you know, childish in some ways. And it's damaging. It means that like, even for the members of that organization, you're then like, oh, geez, I have a disagreement. What if I end up excommunicated? Like, you know, um, uh, um, yeah. It, uh, okay, so we've talked, touched a little bit on some of the things that can be done to try to push back. Like, don't do that. <laughs> um, uh, um, uh, uh, don't be a dickhead. Uh, um, but what else can, like, maybe as individuals, first of all, um, are there any other things, like, uh, that you think individuals can be doing more to try to protect themselves from burnout or that the literature says are proven methods? Um, I'm probably the single best thing is connection. So connection with other people. Um, could be friends, family, could be people in the organization if that's not part of the dynamic. But being connected with people, even being connected with the natural world, being connected with your own body, because at the end of the day, you know, this is about our, you know, mental and psychological health as human beings. Go for a flip and walk. You know, I'll just walk around the park, walk the dog, you know, go and chop some wood if that's, you know, if that's the kind of thing you do. Um, connect with people. Do something that allows you to be uh, a reasonably happy, healthy, functioning human being in some other context. And that then also relativizes this particular thing. Yeah. Because if you get to the point of really burning out, you've probably actually got to acknowledge that that's what's going on. You've got to step back from it doesn't mean you have to stop being in the organization, but you're probably going to have to press pause. So you've got to have somewhere else to stand from which you can go, okay, how does it feel telling people I can't do that thing next week? You know, could I say to people, actually, look, I need a month or two off, or we're not going to bring out that issue, or whatever it is. You know, can I do that? And then you need somewhere else to be. Friends, family, natural world, sports, whatever it is, making music, reading books, just something that isn't you, your total center of gravity in that space. Because if it is, you're going to find it very hard to really see what's going on. So put your center of gravity somewhere else. And I think, like, finding activities, finding things that are, like, so some things in activism are draining, you know, and this will be different for different times. I was when I did this workshop at the Rise Camp, I asked people what were the things that you get a boost from in activism, and I couldn't believe it. Somebody said door knocking, and I was like, that is the 
like going door to door is my idea of I do it all the time. It has to be done, but I, I, it's not my, it's my personal hell. Like you know, um, but there'll be for everybody there'll be some things that you get a boost from that you find, um, uh, and there'll be some things that you won't, and that's fine. You have to do it, but there'll be some things that you do find enjoyable and you find an energy gain, like you know, uh, um, and I think trying to find those things, um, and make sure that you have that as well and also for me in my experience i found that when people find something that they own that's like their project or that they feel is in some way their self-expression you know um they will give 10 times more to that they'll they'll then if they just feel like they're doing this because kian told them to to do that you know Uh, um uh, so i think finding stuff that like is areas for you that you get a boost from because you f- feel like it's self-expression. You are, like, if that is just, like, I used to really like designing leaflets because I liked the graphic design part. That was, like, it, it allowed me to experiment with, like, interest, graphic design, art kind of interests. You know, but finding stuff like that that is actually, like, a chance for you to, um, without sounding too artsy, but, like, for self-expression, you know? Yeah, and giving each other a bit of space around that and going, look, I wouldn't do that talk that way. Or, you know, I wouldn't organize that meeting that way, but actually, is it a huge political issue or is it just that's the person who likes doing that or that's the group of people who like doing that? And on the whole, I'm happy to let them do it. And so, and what about collectively in our organizations? Um, so we can, one of the things we talked about earlier is like, um, having a bit of a strategic focus, taking a step back as an organization and saying, these are the 10 things that we could be doing. What are the two things that we're going to focus on and hopefully get results and get wins on? Um, and then celebrating those wins. And, you know, but but what, is there, what are other things that we can do in our organizations sort of structurally to try to um, prevent uh, uh, burnout or to tr- limit the, the the danger of burnout? Well, I mean, we've talked about quite a lot of them. So giving people autonomy, having good relations even when we disagree a bit, slowing things down, achievable goals. I want to say one other thing that is significant is the degree of democracy. So I don't mean formal democracy there. Obviously, that's important. But uh, a lot of the kind of dysfunctions of burnout uh, have to do with situations where maybe there's a small number of charismatic people uh, and a lot of other people who are sort of focused on them or doing what they're told, especially if there's an age gap, because then there's a lot going on that most of the people are not very conscious of. You know, pressuring each other into doing certain things, being jealous of each other, wanting to impress people. And conversely, the people that they're wanting to impress aren't always very conscious necessarily of their effect on other people. So um, the more we can democratize how we actually are with each other, it's difficult, right? Because there's huge gulfs typically in any active organization of experience, of skill, of understanding. Uh, but how can we manage to let people come to learn while having a bit of power uh, and conversely uh, see the people that they might look up to or want to impress or whatever 
um, being very mundane and practical about things. You know, so when you say things in the meeting, you're not mostly thinking of, oh, how will this affect how other people see me? Yeah. You're mostly thinking about, well, look, we, we did that last time. It didn't work great. Can I say this in a way that it doesn't sound like I'm putting that person down? But it's a helpful contribution to us not all having, you know, four miserable wet November evenings doing something that's going to be miserable. Uh, so, you know, that's not something that you can have rules for. But it is something that you can get better at, right? Yeah. And it's something that is partly about the organization being transparent to each other beyond the formalities, that you kind of see each other as people and see, well, what am I bringing to this? And what are they bringing to this? What do they want out of this? A bit more consciously. You know, I'm being a little bit more reflective about, well, who am I in this space? What's, a useful, what's the most useful way for me to be here? You know, not, not what's the thing that gets me what I want to come out of it in very kind of instrumental terms, my, my three points that have to come out of this meeting. You know, that's there, but we want to get to a point that's a bit beyond that, right? Um, where we can say, well, a really good outcome from this, you know, sort of business meeting, what we're talking about, say, would be where people went away feeling, okay, I kind of know what I'm doing now. I kind of feel that, you know, I'm doing something that I'm capable of doing uh, and that I've had an input into that. And so that kind, that sort of democracy uh, and where, you know, each other comes to broadly see, oh, yeah, this is what the organization's like. This is what we're doing with each other. Because often people only really allow themselves to see that when they've left. <laughs> Which is which is not great, you know. Can we, can we have that degree of self reflection while we're actually in it? Yeah. And um, sort of the final thing, sort of to end on a more maybe of a positive note, because one of the things, because I do think there's a danger in this. Like I think Bernard is a ever present danger um, in activism, and it's always sort of there as a danger. But I think that there is other there is another side to this, which is that activism has sort of some mental health positives for us. Um, one of the things in the in the, your article talked about how in, in some ways you could see activism as like a positive response to negative situations. It's sort of taking power back. It's not saying I'm not going to just be um, a victim of the housing crisis and of a bad landlord or whatever, but I'm going to empower myself by working with my neighbours, forming a, a tenants union. And, you know what I mean? But may, maybe what are some of those other like uh, positives from so just for, for those activists, for those people thinking about becoming an activist who have maybe just had 50 minutes of like <laughs> negative talk, what are some of the positives of activism? Well, the positive of activism is other people, very obviously. You know, so you look around the room and you go, oh, you know, I like these people. They're interesting. They're fun. Uh, they're brave. Uh, they're smart. Um, feels like we could do something interesting together with them. You know, so that relationship with other people is really important. Uh, yeah, doing something real about the problem. Yeah. It's actually an adult thing to do. 
you know, there's something very childish about being aware of all these big problems in the world and going, I'm not going to do anything about that. I'm just going to, you know, remain this sort of eternal teenager is not even what it is because, you know, plenty of teenagers are activists, but this kind of eternal consumer where I just sort of watch and comment and buy stuff and, you know, hope that uh, the energy crisis or the housing crisis or the climate crisis doesn't impinge on me personally, you know. So it is actually uh, psychologically healthy to go, no, do you know what, I'm going to do something about this and to do something that has an effect. Uh, and when we do it, we actually understand the world way better. You know, after, you know, even six months of activism, you understand the world you're in in such a different way to how it feels if you just you know, read the newspaper or you know, listen to your teachers or whatever or pick up random stuff off the internet because you've actually done some of it. You actually start to have a real practical sense. You know, you're not so much of what people think they know about politics and the world is a bit like what you might think you know about swimming. You've never been in the water, but you've watched a lot of people swim. You love watching videos of swimming competitions. And then when you actually go swimming, you go, okay, I understand this in a very different way now. Yeah. And I, I also think that something, this is more the political education side of things. Um, but for me anyway, political education has always been something that's sustained me. It's like, in lulls or in down periods it's like okay let's take a step back and look at the bigger picture here um but that's also like even that has helped sustain me but i think there's also a mental health positive in some of that stuff as well in that like you become aware that some of these problems that i used to think that or that society tells you is just you as an individual uh, um oh you're in your 30s and you don't own a house you're clearly failing or um oh you're uh uh you 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 were sexually harassed at work. You're probably because you dressed to whatever you know. Um, all of the, that's a sort of society sort of tells that these are individual problems that are your fault or are just something that just you're experiencing. And actually discussing politics, discussing with other people, learning more about that, you you get to realize actually these individual problems that I've faced are political. Do you know what I mean? That, that this is part of a bigger thing. It's not my fault. It's it's an economic system. It's a social system that has uh, um, done this. Uh, um, and I, I, I think that is somewhat like um, empowering uh, um, as well, like, you know. All right. I think we have uh, 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 exhausted that topic. <laughs> uh, 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 before we burn out, uh, we might uh, call it quits uh, there. Is there anything last that you want to add? Anything that I forgot to include? No, actually, I will. Let, let, me say, let me say one thing. Keeping going is really important. And time spent put into how do we keep going is never wasted. Because when movements lose activists, they lose people, they lose the capacity to do stuff, they lose what those people have learned, they lose those people's connections. You know, we can't actually afford to casually lose people. No, exactly. And like that is, and we also lose their experiences. They're clearly feeling the pain points. And if they were able to feed in and say, here, actually, there's this problem with the organization. You need to improve that. That's a learning that we could um, be, be having. So I think uh, um, I, we're never going to manage to, it, there's a certain amount of, 
turnover that is inevitable in the socialist movement. But if we could, if we could reduce that even just a small percentage, we would um, do do a lot, a lot, a lot more positive. Uh, but okay, th- thanks a million, Lawrence, for joining us, and thanks uh, uh, for everybody for listening. If you did enjoy this uh, episode, I would encourage you to please share it in uh, uh, on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Share it into your group chats, on your email lists, on whatever social groups activist groups campaign groups you're involved in uh, um, and if you can uh, uh, chip in on our patreon patreon.com forward slash rupture radio we don't want to put anything behind the paywall we do this podcast we produce it completely free uh, um, and we want to keep it that way but to do that uh, um, and to be able to dedicate the time to it, it's, it it helps when people chip in so if you can support us on patreon.com forward slash rupture radio that's absolutely great uh, um, and if you want to find out more from Lawrence there's a a link uh, to the his article on burnout but also there is uh, in issue 6 and 7 of rupture he's, he's a rupture regular at this stage um, articles from him as well to, to find out more alright thanks a million cheers see you